Welcome back to First Words with First Farragut United Methodist Church. Thanks for joining us. This Sunday, we looked at Ezekiel's vision of dry bones. There comes a point in every challenge or attempt to make a change where it seems difficult to continue, as if hope is gone. But God breathes hope into the most lifeless situations. Jesus returns life to the lifeless. Martha Scott preaches from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. Today's scripture is taken from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones and I'm about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you, and you, you will come to life, and you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, and then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone, when I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims. Come from the four winds, breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to their life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished and we are completely finished. So now, Prophesy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from the graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from the, your graves. My people, I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile ground and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do that. This is what the Lord says. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God.
have a lot going on before I begin the sermon. You know it's bad when I have a lot to say before I ever even start the sermon, right? Sorry. But it is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent, which means Easter is almost upon us. Palm Sunday, Easter, all that stuff. First of all, we have a celebration of this last Friday evening. Uh, the Farragut Winter Guard, apparently middle school and high school, meets in this worship center to rehearse and, and do their show. Without this building, they would not be successful in their competition. So we had 120-some-odd students and parents in this building Friday evening watching this show and celebrating with offering them a reception. And I cannot tell you the number of comments that I received from parents and students of how appreciative they are of the ability to use this building. So thank you, First Farragut family. And thank you to all those who helped make that evening a reception, etc., a success because they were deeply appreciative of it. Speaking of students and children and families and upcoming events, um, we have an Easter egg hunt. If you did not grab one of these, it will show you everything that's taking place the next few weeks. There is an Easter egg hunt next Saturday. And even if you don't have young children, that's okay. Come be a part of the fun, because people who were here Friday evening can tell you that even if you don't have children, you can enjoy being a part of the whole family. And then we have Palm Sunday coming up, and those of you who love to sing, I see you out there, children who love to wave their palms and sing, we have something for you next Sunday, so be sure and be here. And then there's Easter sunrise and Easter, so lots of things going on, lots of reasons to celebrate. Now, I'll start the sermon. Maybe. It's actually kind of a joke. In, in a small New England town, there was a man named Otis who tended to drink a little too much. Now, for those of you who know Andy Griffith, you know where Otis came from, right? I can see your heads nodding. Well, Otis had a tendency sometimes to drink a little too much, and no one was really concerned about him getting behind the wheel of a car because it was a small town, and therefore you would walk anywhere you wanted to go. Well, on one such occasion, Otis had a little too much to drink. It was a dark, had been rainy, kind of foggy night, and he decided to walk home and take a shortcut through a cemetery. Now, being that it was dark, he could not see that there was a freshly dug grave. So he slipped right into the grave. He tried to climb out, but the, uh, the, the ground was too slippery and too high, and he couldn't get out, so he just resigned himself to spending the night in a tiny little corner of the grave, curled up, went to sleep. While he was sleeping, another man came along and fell into the grave, not seeing Otis in the corner, and this man, too, tried and tried and tried to climb out of the wet, slippery, steep grave. He realized he couldn't, so he started screaming, help, help, I've fallen into a grave, someone get me out of here. And when he started screaming, that woke up Otis. So Otis gets up, taps him on the back of the shoulder and says, it's no use, buddy. Believe me, you can't get out of here. To which he jumped six feet out of the grave and ran the whole way home. Because who wouldn't, right? Now, Ezekiel's vision that we just read wasn't in a graveyard of tombstones, per se, where it would be easy to mistake a live person as a ghost. But Ezekiel was, in fact, shown a graveyard. A valley is actually what is, how it's described. A valley of very dry bones that looked like they would never live again, never get up and walk again. The valley itself appeared to be a dead end. 
to whomever those bones belong to. As we arrive at the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent, our top and our fifth topic for our boot camp for the soul series, it's about a dead end. Lent is a season in the church in which we journey to the cross. It's a time of intentional preparation. It's a time of repentance. It's a time in which we try to make soul-deep transformation. And sometimes, despite the weather being beautiful outside, Lent can feel like it drags on and on. But it's a time of preparation for change, soul-deep change. Now, this term boot camp, as we probably all know, has its roots in military training. But it's been adopted in the fitness world. And a person who usually embarks on, excuse me, a fitness boot camp does so because he or she wants to make some changes in their lives. This effort of physical training hydration, diet change, etc. All of that can get into full swing, but sometimes something happens when we try to make those kinds of changes and it feels like all is lost. It could be a physical injury that we can't exercise anymore. It could be a slip up on the diet. Or if there's a, a, a change being made, an intentional change being made in a relationship, there could be a setback in communication or trust is broken. If there's health challenges, that a person wants to make some changes of of unasked-for health challenges, there could be a setback in medical progress. In a traditional boot camp, having never been there, but I dare say a person crawling face down in the mud in an obstacle course is probably exhausted, probably in physical pain, and it may feel like the end has come. Ezekiel stared out at this valley that looked as if the end had come and there was no returning. But God has a tendency to take dead ends and use them simply as a place to breathe new life. To put this story of Ezekiel into context, Ezekiel was a Jewish priest who served during kind of the first wave, we would say, of the Babylonian exile, probably some 600 years or so before the time of Jesus. A little more than 100 years before that, 10 tribes of Israel had been conquered by the Assyrians and carried off into exile. 100 years later, about the time when Ezekiel gets carried off, is when the Babylonians come in and carry off some of them, Ten years later, another wave happened. So there's two waves of Babylonian exile and one wave, the first one, of Assyrian. But what has happened is over over this time, all of the Jewish people had been conquered and carried into, dead or carried into exile. Judging from the scriptural timing and Jewish historians, we believe that God called Ezekiel, who was a priest, about five years into his exile in Babylon, to also serve as a prophet. Now, we need to remember that a prophet is not necessarily someone who predicts the future. That's not their primary role. Their primary role is simply to speak a word on behalf of God. That's all a prophet does. Now, you've probably heard of the prophet Jeremiah. Most people are familiar with Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel lived at about the same time. Lived at the same time and did their 
work as prophets at the same time. Jeremiah was back in Jerusalem while Ezekiel was in Babylon. But both of them had a tendency to talk about the impending doom and gloom and conquering. As if the people hadn't already figured that out because they were living it. Yet in the midst of all this doom, Ezekiel also spoke a word of hope. And it's the last chapters of the book that bears Ezekiel's name where he began to share visions of God restoring the people after all of this absolute destruction. And this valley of dry bones is one of those visions. The scene itself is, is rather morbid. It would make a great Halloween campfire story. Ezekiel writes that the Lord's power came over him, and while he was in the Lord's spirit, that the, the Lord led him to this valley of dry bones. When we see those words, while I was in the Lord's spirit, that's a clue that something supernatural or some otherworldly sight or experience is about to happen. We see a similar phrase in the, the first chapter of Revelation where John, who's exiled on the island of Patmos, says, while I was in a spirit-inspired trance. So when we see those words, we know that wisdom from God is about to be imparted and the Holy Spirit is about to speak. Well, this Holy Spirit speaking was this gruesome scene. Ezekiel was led to this valley and if you'll notice, he wasn't just led to the valley to look at all the bones. We're told that he was led to walk in and through among those bones. Ezekiel's stepping over bones, probably tripping over an entire valley full of dry bones, a mass grave. And what he sees is these bones have been picked over by, by animals and they've been carried. They're all messed up. They don't no longer are even in the shapes of the bodies that they once were just a massive scattered mess of dead dry bones you remember the pronouncement of the wicked witch of the east the coroner coming to munchkin land about announcing how dead the witch is do y'all remember that she's not only merely dead she's really most sincerely dead these bones are most sincerely dead but while he's walking through these bones the Spirit of God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Speak over these bones. Say to these dry bones, Hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you, and you will live again. I will put sinews on you and flesh and cover you with skin, and when I breathe into you, you will come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel does as he's told. There seems to be this great quaking sound of bones all across the valley coming together, kind of like the deafening sound of storms that we've had recently, the trees cracking, all these bones coming together. And it's a scene that a physician would love to witness, sinews growing on bones that hold bones together and muscles attached. It's kind of gross, but your average physician would love that. So they all come together, but there's no breath yet. They're not living. They're just laying on the ground like a bunch of mannequins. Until the Spirit says, now say, come breath, come four winds of the earth and breathe life into these bones. And breath begins to fill them and they stand up and we're told there's this great multitude of dry dead bones 
once again alive and breathing. And then God says to, it, to Ezekiel, these bones, these bones are the people of Israel who have been conquered and carried off. Yes, they are a mere dried up lifeless mess right now, a people utterly without hope. But I, God, am going to open your graves, raise you up. I will restore and breathe new life in you, and you will live again. It's a whole example of what God's going to do. Speaking to a people who were absolutely without hope. There's a word in that entire section of Scripture. Uh, the word is ruah. It's actually, if you pronounce it, this is going to sound lovely in a microphone. If you pronounce it with a Hebrew guttural, it's called ruach. Go ahead and say that with me. Ruch. Doesn't that sound lovely? Ruch. Do you like that? So, but now you can go home and say you spoke Hebrew. Ruch. It means wind, spirit, breath. And it is a word that we see a lot in Scripture. It is a word that we see from the very beginning when we hear the stories in creation that God's wind swept across the chaos. God's ruach swept across the chaos, and out of nothing, God breathed life into creation. That's the word that's being used here in this scripture. We see it throughout the, the Bible. We could be here for, for days talking about the number of times, but there's two times when we get all the way to the story of Jesus. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, it's three days after Jesus' death. And the women and the disciples went to the tomb only to discover that it was empty. But later that evening, we're told that they were, they were locked behind doors. And later that evening, we're told that Jesus came among them. And in John 20, 22, he breathed on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. He ruached on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see it again at what we call the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, some 50 or so days later after Jesus' resurrection, again, they're locked behind, they're behind closed doors, and suddenly we're told this fierce wind comes, there's the fierce ruach comes and fills them with the Holy Spirit. And at that day, they begin to speak and witness to the power and the person of Jesus, and the church was born, and 2,000 years later, here we sit. Now let's go back to what the concluding remarks were to Ezekiel. God said, I will put my breath in you and you will live. You will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. God did it. And Jesus began to breathe life into people. About a week before Jesus' triumphal entry, we call it, into Jerusalem, which if we go by the calendar would be this week, a week before what we call Palm Sunday. About a week before that, Jesus raised a man named Lazarus to life after he had been dead for days. Lazarus and his two sisters, if we look at Scripture, appeared to have uh, some sort of close relationship. They were close friends with Jesus. And Jesus learned that Lazarus was sick because his sisters called for him, but he didn't go. He delayed a few days. And in the meantime, Lazarus died. 
So that when Jesus finally arrived, days later, the family was deep in mourning. He had been bound up in linen, as was the custom, put into a tomb, a hole carved in a cave, and closed up. When Jesus got there and he saw the grief of the sisters and the family and all those gathered around, he was so deeply moved at their suffering that we're told Jesus wept. Then he asked to be taken to the tomb where he commanded the people to open the grave. And one of the sisters said, "Um, Jesus, he's been in there for days. It's going to stink. It's going to stink. Jesus said, open it. So he stands outside of this grave and he calls to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Now the way a body would have been bound at that, in that day, the feet would have been bound rather loosely just to kind of keep them together. The body would have been wrapped in a full cloth with arms tucked beside several times over. So, so you couldn't really move. But Jesus calls to this dead Lazarus, come out. And he begins to come out. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Jesus is in the business of taking our dead ends and breathing new life into them. Jesus takes the things that would keep us bound up and lifeless, calls us out of the stale air of a tomb, and says, you are free. Walk. The dead end of the Valley of Dry Bones Lazarus locked in a tomb where it seemed all hope is gone are examples to us that if God can do that, God can take our dead ends and bring new life. The scene of Ezekiel was just about as a hopeless situation as a closed up grave, yet God says, I'm going to breathe new life into you. I'm going to call you out of this grave. God turns our slavery to anger, to bitterness, to grief, to loss, to worry, whatever it may be, and turns it into a beautiful, bountiful land. God has the power to turn our Good Fridays that don't really seem so good into Easter. God has the power to breathe life into hopeless marriages God has the power to breathe life into relapses. God has the power to breathe life into dried up churches. God can do it. God has the power to breathe life into senseless acts of violence. God has the power to breathe hope into the most hopeless situations. So I want to ask you, Where is God saying, I will breathe new life into you, and you will know that I am Lord? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Thanks for listening. Next week is the end of our Boot Camp for the Soul series. At the completion of a boot camp, one is tempted to reward oneself with rich dessert or a week off from exercise. But boot camp is not an end to itself. It is preparation for what is to come. We celebrate the completion of the Lenten journey with the crowds around Jesus, but we are reminded the journey wasn't simply for the sake of celebration. It was to prepare us for what happens after the changes we've made in our lives. See you next week.